Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Paul Atlington, 23 years of career and volunteer experience, currently Chief of Training for the City of Burlington Fire Department in North Carolina, creator and owner of Impact Fire Training. Paul speaks at various conferences and lectures throughout fire departments across the nation. His interests are tactics, leadership, development, and a strong love for anything pumps. If you have had the chance to sit in one of Chief Watlington's lectures, then you know he's all in for the job and wants no part of mediocrity. With that, I present Mr. Paul Watlington. All right, Paul Watlington. Uh, so, how I got started in the fire service? Uh, I was actually an accidental firefighter. Um, I, I kind of, I got started uh, with my, in the workforce, you know, when I graduated high school, I went to college for electronics. Uh, just, I knew I wanted to stay around town, you know, stay around local to my community, but, uh, wasn't really a whole lot of jobs out there. So, uh, I went to school, went to college at Danville community college for electronics. Uh, my ambition was to become a, an electronic technician, maybe working in a technical field somewhere. And you know, I had a couple of jobs, uh, one in particular that I was excited about and, uh, ended up falling through the company that I worked for shut down. So, uh, I went out and kind of ventured out into, uh, the workforce with my brother doing some landscaping uh, at a professional company out of Greensboro and uh, started taking some fire classes at night because I had joined the volunteer fire department. I thought that was a pretty awesome opportunity to give back to my community. So, uh, you know, I took advantage of that and uh, my brother was a volunteer firefighter. Uh, I was not a second generation firefighter. My, 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 nobody in my family was uh, in the public service. Uh, my, my dad worked in the banking industry. My mom worked in law. Uh, so I, but I did have a, a pretty decent, uh, I guess, amount of discipline in my family when it came from the military. Uh, grandfather and my dad both served in the Army. Uh, so I knew it was probably a good idea if I did something that required me to wear a uniform. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, Makes uh, sense. Anyway, uh, long story short, I just I, I couldn't find something that I felt complete with. You know, uh, it, it was a paycheck here and a paycheck there. And I just didn't feel like I was able to to. Uh, I guess, get the most out of myself and, and use the gifts that, that I was given. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, I was taking some classes at night uh, to be a better volunteer firefighter, you know, and uh, ended up going to EMT school to, to get my EMT so I could be a better first responder for my volunteer fire department when I was running calls with them and just fell in love with it. And uh, ended up, some of my instructors were city of firefighters. Uh, where I was taking my classes in Rockingham County. I live in Caswell County, but was taking my classes in Rockingham. And they kind of mm-hmm. talked me into it. Hey, man, you know, you ever thought about pursuing a career in the fire service? And, and this was, again, early 2000s, very early 2000s. And I said, well, I mean, you know, I've never entertained the idea. I was making good money. and But I felt like it was just something about it that it made me feel more complete. Uh, and I to where I was uh, offering a service and, and my heart was in it and my, my passion was there. Uh, so I just went out on a limb, took a $20,000 pay cut. I had a wife and kid at home at the time. It was tough. It was a struggle. But when I went to work, I felt complete. When I went to work, I felt like I was using the gift that, that, that was given to me. So uh worked in the city for a little while. Unfortunately, uh, my my position was eliminated due to a budget cut. So uh, I applied it to the city of Burlington. Uh, and I think it's appropriate to mention that I actually applied for the city of Burlington before 
but I didn't have my EMT at the time, so they wouldn't hire me. Okay. Uh, but I've since had gotten my EMT, so I went to the city of Burlington and been here ever since. Been been uh, working on my twentieth year now. So, okay. uh, yep, it's been good. Uh, it seems like nothing was enough for me in my career. Um, you know, I I decided I wanted to be a firefighter. I want to I want to be a tailboard firefighter. I want to I want to master that position. And uh, I'm not saying that I mastered it, but it just saw other things ahead of me that I wanted to reach out for. You know. I, I saw how, how much my engineer really enjoyed enjoyed his job. So I was like, you know, I want to be an engineer. I want to promote. So I promoted an engineer, and then I kind of started missing that that nozzle. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, miss, I miss putting my bunker coat on, you know. So, um, you know, I wanted to get back interior. So, you know, I, I worked and became a uh, became an advocate for my own personal development, you know, and with the officer development. Started seeing things through my officer's eyes and, and um, self-educating. And we started getting some education outside, you know, with with uh, attending conferences in schools and and my degree program, and, and uh, went ahead and took the lieutenant's exam, passed it, was promoted, and again, it just wasn't enough. <laughs> I want to keep going. I want to I want to try it, and so I made captain, and uh, then this position in the training division came open, and I just knew I had a love and passion for helping other people, not only in the community but my fellow brothers and sisters that I worked with in the department. You know, I wanted to play a part in their success and, you know, pay it forward because my training officers, my training chiefs were able to put me in position of success. So I wanted to, you know, pay that forward and, and make some positive changes when it comes to career development internally within our department. So, uh, you know, I took this position, went eight to five, and I've been here ever since, man. It's been a wonderful 10 years. I'm chief of training now in, the, in our department and, you know, uh, working alongside some of the best firefighters in the world. Um you know, they're advocates for training, and it just makes my job a whole lot easier when I see and hear other people advocating for training. So uh, that's pretty much me in a nutshell, man, you know, here at the department. Okay. Uh, for, for those that don't know, can you tell us a little bit about City of Burlington, the size, stations, your personnel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, City of Burlington, uh, so first of all, we're located uh, between Durham and Greensboro, uh, if you wanted to take two two big cities there. Uh, we we are on the highway highway 85 uh, interstate 85 uh, interstate 40 corridor um, uh, located pretty much central Alamance County here in North Carolina uh, we have six stations uh, six engine companies uh, we have two ladders a squad two battalions uh, so um, you know we have uh, roughly 99 shift personnel so smaller department to some bigger department to some so mm-hmm. you know kind of kind of a good in between Mm-hmm. Uh, we average around 10,500 to 11,000 calls a year. Uh, we do run medical, uh, you know, we, we run our fair share of vehicle accidents. Seems like a lot of gas leaks here lately for some of the infrastructure being, uh, being renovated in the city. Uh, uh, but we do have a good, good, um, good share of, uh, of fire responses as well. So, uh, good, happy medium of everything okay. keeps you on your toes. Okay. Uh, what's your uh, minimum staffing like on your trucks? Uh, so currently 27. Um, and that's, uh, you know, we have three person engine companies, uh, two on squad, three on the ladders. So yeah, we are considered understaffed, but then again, you know, through some of my teaching and travels, I go out to these other departments and I'm seeing two man engine companies and two man truck companies. And I'm like, Oh my God. Right. How does that work? You know, I feel, you know, very understaffed at three-person engine companies, you know. Uh, so, uh, anyway, that's that's what we're looking like there. 
Okay. Um, and uh, some people might might want to know a little bit more. When you mentioned squad, two-person squad, uh, what's your squad? Okay, so uh, our squad's a little different. Um, well, maybe to some. Uh, so our squad runs all vehicle accidents and all uh, fire calls, fire responses, first alarm assignments. It's our rescue truck. It's got uh, all of our confined space rescue stuff. Uh, at one time, as a matter of fact, when I got hired here, that truck uh, squad was the only apparatus that had any Hearst equipment. Okay. Uh, anything rescue related was on that apparatus. Uh, now all of our first out engines and ladders have a, a complement of Hearst equipment. Um, you know, our city has grown. Our squad now runs the, or it used to, it still does run the entire city, but you know, for response times of getting, um, you know, time to victim, you know, on vehicle accidents, it was just more beneficial to put, to put, uh, that Hearst equipment on our engines and trucks. Um, so our squad, you know, we, we have cascade system on it. Um, you know, it's, uh, so we're filling air bottles on scene. We have technical rescue equipment on it, uh, confined space, uh, water rescue. It's pretty much a rolling toolbox for anything that we need on an incident. Okay. Okay. So it's, it's not a pickup. It, it's an actual, no, 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 it's an actual, it's a, it's a true, you know, uh, full size apparatus. Yeah. Okay. And you got two of them. No, we just got one squad. Oh, we just one, got one. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. All right, misunderstood. One squad. Okay, okay, nice, nice. And that squad does respond to to the entire city. Okay, understood, understood. Um, so I'm gonna jump right into question two. In your opinion, what does the term aggressive mean to you? Uh, well, I was I was actually just talking about that last night. I was um invited to teach uh, out at Timberlake uh, Fire and Rescue out in Person County and uh. Yeah, we were talking about uh, some safety and survival, uh, May Day topics. And, you know, one of the things that I always like to talk about is what we consider aggression, because there's many different definitions of aggression. You know, you talk to this guy over here, this this lady over here. We all have different. Uh, I think if I had to pinpoint aggression down to one thing, it would be education right? or educated. Now, I'm not talking about going out and getting a degree. I'm not talking about that. What I mean by that is aggressive being you understand the consequences to every action or, re or you know, every action that you, you know, you understand and you take that into consideration and you use risk benefit analysis in your decision-making. And a lot of that's obviously done quick. Everything's done with a sense of urgency, but, you know, I, I compare an aggressive firefighter to a loose cannon. You know, a lot of times we have to be careful because they may mirror one another on the incident. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, they may do some of the same things, but, you know, that loose cannon is not aware of the consequences of their actions. They, they, they have not used a thought process to make decisions on an incident, you know, or, or what is that based off of? Is it based off of experience? Is it based off of best practice? Is it based off of something that you read in a book? You know, something makes us make those decisions. Um, you know, obviously experience being probably the most desirable reason to make decisions or, or ways to make decisions. Hey, I've, seen this happen before maybe we need to try this because it worked on this incident last time uh you know being able to have that foundation for your decisions and when you do and you're confident and you understand uh what could happen or what will probably happen and be able to foresee and plan ahead uh it gives you the ability to be considered aggressive um and you may consider yourself aggressive a lot of times aggressive firefighters don't consider themselves aggressive enough because they still feel like there's more to to learn and which it is and they just they feel like they could do things quicker. They analyze their own actions, and and that's good because that's what makes us better, right? But um, you know, aggression 
understanding the mission and using your decision-making to get to that mission and meet that mission as quickly as possible, being aggressive, um, you know, not, not, uh, drawing out your thought process, you know, compacting and making quick decisions based on what the things I just mentioned, like the, the experience and, and being educated on, on, um, the incidents, uh, mm -hmm. staying up to date on fire dynamics, understanding fire behavior, understanding building construction, you know, having that information in your head quickly instead of having to learn that as you go, using those things to, to help you be aggressive. Okay. I like it. And, and the, biggest you... thing, the biggest thing is, is understanding the mission. I mean, having that them before us mentality, getting to your victims quickly and, and understanding the process of all of the in-between. Okay. Okay. And with you being the training chief for your department, I'm sure as you teach your department uh, skills and tactics, you kind of want them to be the aggressive firefighter, but also the aggressive firefighter that thinks of their actions and potential consequences, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And see, you know, when we were coming up, I, I'm not 100% sure how long you've got in service, but when we were coming up, we were we were told to do, do, do. Mm -hmm. You know, I want our people to know the whys. I want to take that extra time. I want to do that walk around in their head so that they can understand why they are doing what they're doing and understand that, okay, now I know why. So now I'm able to determine whether I'm doing it right or wrong, you know, or right or wrong. Um, so when we, when we train, uh, especially in the Academy, our Academy may be considered a little lengthy because okay. we do have a lot of added things to it. We don't go through the Jones and Bartlett manual. We go through the Jones and Bartlett manual and we expand on all of that. I don't want you to just know that building construction is important. I want you to know why. I want you to know everything that we need to know about building construction. I pull in outside instructors sometimes in our academies to come in and speak on specific hot topics. Because um, I think ultimately all of that meets, all of that you know ties back into being that aggressive firefighter. I, <laughs> one of the biggest things that concerns me about the way we discuss aggressive firefighters is the negative context behind it. Um, and it's a little concerning because, I mean, like I said, as I travel and hear people talk about that, you know, why are we considering aggression being something bad? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've heard people describe other people, oh, he's too aggressive. What does too aggressive mean? I, I don't understand that. That's, uh, that, that just, that concerns me to hear about that, uh, to, to hear those, uh, you know, thought processes. It's, it's not a bad thing. It simply means that that individual is educated and understands the consequences and understands decision making. Right. It's pretty simple. Right. <laughs> I like it. All right. Um, one one other thing that that caught my attention is you being the training chief. You actually said that you actually invite outside instructors to come teach for 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 uh teach your the men and women of your department. Uh. How important is that for other for your members to hear things and topics besides coming from you? Well, I mean, I, I think it is very important. So I was watching, um, I was watching a a clip um, that that another fire service instructor put on the internet a while back, and he really talked about. We have to get outside of our department. We have to get, uh, we can't come in and just simply rely on our internal resources to make us the best, right? 
you know, when I used to coach baseball, I coached travel baseball for years. When I coached, I would tell the kids, man, you're not going to get good just coming to practice three or four days a week. You got to do your homework. You got to get out and do your own. And you got to reach out and read the magazines and you got to watch the, 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 uh, the videos. You got to attend podcasts, look at podcasts, listen to them. You know, we, we waste too much time not doing stuff like that, which is all it is is low hanging fruit, man, for mm-hmm. us to get better. Right. Um, when it comes to outside instructors and we, we don't, I'm, I'm going to take back a little bit about what I said. We don't do that often. And we haven't had, we haven't had the opportunity to do that often. We are incorporating that and inviting that more now that our budget is what it is. Sometimes okay. with staffing issues, the way they are with a lot of departments, they can't send five, six, seven people to FDIC, you know? Um, so what better way to do that? If you've got the money, bring those instructors to you. Uh, it's a good opportunity to still take advantage of that money that's laying there, you know, for education opportunities. But I do think it's important to hear those outside instructors because they bring a different perspective. I took um, took one of our firefighters. Uh, she's no longer here. Uh, she She's moved on to another department. But I took her to FDIC. I think it was 2018, 19. Uh, we were walking up the street. She had just got back from uh, the RIT under fire class out in Champaign, Illinois. And we're walking up the street and she, she had her head down and she was looking down and just quiet, didn't say anything. And I was like, maybe she's tired of out, you know? And uh, she says, chief, I, I got to admit something. And she said, what is it? I said, what is it? She said, I had no idea that there was this much more available to learn in the fire service from the outside. She said, I've just said, I've been so consumed with everything internal, you know, all of our internal resources that I never knew it was this much more available to me on the outside. So I think it's important that, you know, uh, you get outside and you take advantage of these opportunities from these outside instructors. I mean, if you can't pay somebody and fly them in, see if they'll film a, a, a webcast for you. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so mm-hmm. many different opportunities. Uh, I know Frank Vascuso, he filmed a specific webcast for us, you know, specific for our department and sent it to us. I mean, if you, you know, take advantage of those opportunities because it's almost like, Hey, I'm going to get Danny to uh, tell my kid to not do that anymore because they won't listen to me. Right. Yeah. It's kind of the same concept, right? No, no, I agree. I agree. And, and I, like I said, I like it. I like it. And I think more and more you're starting to hear chiefs that, that are starting to do that, where you're bringing in that outside influence, the letting your members hear a different perspective, different than your own. So um, 100% agreement for sure. Um, next question for you. In your opinion, should there be a years of service clause for promotion? Uh, I'm kind of torn on that. Um, so we do here. Okay. Um, some say it's not long enough. Some say we need to eliminate. Um, so we have to sit in each rank for at least a year, 12 okay. months before you're eligible to promote to the next rank. Okay. Uh, we have another department locally, you know, I say local is just across the state line that um, they require you to sit in uh, the firefighter position for five years before you can promote to engineer. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of, it, it just depends on, you know, that department and what they feel like is best. I will tell you this, that I do have this philosophy of, or, or thought that we get tied up too much in time and service rather than what is being done. You know, I just I saw a quote a while back. I put it in some of my presentations. Seniority doesn't mean that you know everything. Seniority means that you've just been around for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, you know, what have you done? I'm more interested in what have you done? Where is your 
heart? Where is your passion? You know, where's your advocation for training? How, how do you feel about, you know, the mission driven culture that we should be in right now? You know, what are your thought processes on that? Now, I would rather have a five year firefighter that is dedicated to the mission, dedicated to training, dedicated to his brothers and sisters versus a 15 year firefighter that is the 007. I use the 007 a lot. You know, zero work ethic, zero ambition, and hides in the fire station seven times a day. That's old 007, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like 007. He's been here for 15 years. Guess what? He's got seniority. He's picking vacation over everybody else. But what does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, so I think there's a happy medium to be met there. If your department feels like that you need to sit in a position for two years before eligible to promote, I get it. I understand why you're doing that. But don't get so caught up in time and rank and time and service. Really evaluate your people and dig deep into what their capabilities are by doing capability and performance measures or, or test on them. You know, um, I, I would rather see that. I want to know what you're capable of. I got a guy here now, you know, what um, actually it's not he's not here. It's at my volunteer department. Um, been in the service for 18 months. I cannot stump him on a pump pump. And I'm a pumps guy, mm -hmm. you know, but I got lieutenants that don't know where the intake is. So, I mean, it's right. I, I just, I, I feel like sometimes we get caught up a lot on uh, the time and service and time and rank and, and not what the actual capabilities are. But um, I do think there's a happy medium there. So I, I kind of got to agree to both sides there. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's just, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. It's just, it's just a question because, you know, not saying one's better than the other, but I just want to hear people's different viewpoints and justifications on it. So yeah, um, no, I have no issues there. Um, now with you also being a, a, a training chief for your department for promotion, a company officer, are you in favor for a simulated computer fire scenario or where the individual is involved with real companies, real people, and graded in real time at like a training center or or a certain site in your area. So I, I think um, I think those decisions need to be really based on what you're looking for in your company officers, where your current company officer development is. Um, you know, I, I personally for us, you know, what works well for us is uh, we we stay hands on hot on new company officers, okay? And when I say new company officers, I mean our lieutenants, okay? I'm not talking about our captains. Um, our lieutenants, we have to keep in mind, th th these individuals were just checking their truck off the shift day before they're promoting. You know what I mean? They, okay. They, they're they're, they're entry-level officers. They're working on their decision-making skills. They're still building their leadership skills. They, uh, their analytics, their algorithm, algorithms are being built in their head. They're understanding how to work themselves through things because they are the boss. You know, they are that engine boss, truck boss in the absence of a captain. Um, some for even extended period of time. Uh, we like to see the application of their education and work. We want to uh, put them in a scenario. Now, that scenario may not be anything more than a cooking incident. It may not be anything more than an illegal burn. Uh, if I bring five, six, you know, people out here to the training center to do a lieutenant's exam, and we're worried about like whether they can make the right assignments to incoming units or not, mm -hmm. four of the five of them make the exact same assignments. 
And, you know, now I have no way to separate them to really analyze their thought processes. We're not as much detailed into that as we are concepts and thought processes in operational periods. So what I may do is, you know, we run a scenario. I want to see that individual physically take control. I want to see them, hear them verbally take control on an incident. I want to see that in real time. And a lot of times when we get on these simulations, we don't have that real time layer built into it. It's boom, 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 boom. You know, I'm looking at a scenario on the screen and there's a guy in another room with a mouse in his hand and all of a sudden he makes the screen, the, the smoke turn green or something. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, I, I'm i more of the simulations being real life than I am the computer models. Now, I'm not saying that computer models are bad. There are some out there that are wonderful. I have digital combustion fire studio on my computer now. Okay. Uh, and we use that, you know, for training and, and, and opportunities like that. Now, when we get into, um, you know, our captains, because as many departments do, when you're promoting or studying for promotion, it's almost like you're promoting or studying for the next position. Right. 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 So so when you're studying for a captain's promotional process, you may be put in a battalion chief's role because you may be riding in that position if, in the absence of a battalion chief. So you're a commanding officer pulling up. I'm looking at your command presence. I'm looking at your concerns and considerations in the first five minutes, the next 10 minutes, the next 15 minutes. Are you looking at strategy or are you looking at tactics? Because when you're in command, you're not supposed to be dictating uh, tactics. You know, let your people go. Let them work. Don't micromanage them. Trust the process, you know. Um, So I'm I'm looking at, are you able to relinquish that? Are you able to stay out of the tactics when you're in a command role? Uh, And you're more strategic. Do I have my stations covered? You know, do I have resources available for my personnel? And, 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 you know, if we have to be here for an hour and a half. You know, am I thinking globally mm-hmm. versus tactically? So I think once, you know, what what works for us when we get into like our captain's promotions and, and above, we look at um, more like assessment centers and scenarios. We give you a scenario. You give me what you think you would do in the first 10 minutes or what decisions would you make in the first 20 minutes? And we work it through that. But I do think it's important, you know, especially with your entry-level company officers to well, what works for us is that we do stay more hands-on okay. and real-time application um, and then advance from there. Okay. Okay. And uh, the, the rank structure at uh, at Burlington, firefighter, driver, lieutenant, captain? So we, we actually have another layer built in, which is uh, it, it really works out great for us. We have a firefighter, and then we have what we call a firefighter first class, which is kind of like a master firefighter. Okay. Okay. Now this individual goes through a uh, checkbook, check off task book. And uh, once they get to that, they can test for backup driver, which is considered Uh, a promotion here. And it's called first class. Okay. Uh, So that individual now um, is, is still gets time in the back seat, right? You know, they Mm -hmm. still get firefighter time, but they also um, can ride in the position of an engineer uh, in the absence of that engineer. Okay. Um, and we're currently exploring some ideas and thinking about some things, and it's not completely off of the books yet. We we would like to kind of explore some ideas of some write-up programs for our uh, company officers, you know, for yeah. our engineers riding up into the company officer role. I know a lot of departments do that. Mm-hmm. Just haven't been in a position to do that up to this point, but we are exploring some ideas. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and, and you're right. We do engineer, lieutenant, captain. And then we have battalion chiefs, and then of course it advances at that point into the senior staff. 
Okay. So if your captain is off, your engineer doesn't ride the seat. The lieutenant moves up. The lieutenant moves up. Yep. And gotcha. so we currently have uh, four lieutenants per shift. We have two in battalion one and two in battalion two. The the great thing about lieutenants, and, and I always loved this about sitting in that position, was um, you got to be sharp on everything. Because one day you might be riding firefighter in the absence of a firefighter. Mm-hmm. The lieutenant is kind of like a floater. Okay. Uh, they may ride firefighter one day. Uh, they're originally, I guess, designated to the squad. Okay. okay. Your two lieutenants are on squad uh, at headquarters. But most of the time, there's somebody off to where those lieutenants are filling spots. You might be driving one day. You might be, like I said, you might be on a nozzle one day. And in the next shift, you might be commanding the largest incident in the history of the city of Rome. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. You got to be sharp on everything. Right? Okay. okay. I like it. I mean, it's, it seems like it's it's working for you. So, yeah, I mean, everybody's different. I mean, you know, I hear people like, "How do you do that? That's stupid." Or, "Or how do you, you know, no, that we would never do that." And I'm like, "Hey, it works for us, man." Mm-hmm. You know, there's no right and wrong way to do all of this stuff exactly. when it comes to little things like that. It's exactly. about your resources, what works for you, what you're preparing for, what does your structure look like when promoting and preparation and development. It just, if it all works, it works. Mm-hmm. All right, I like it. I like it. Uh, recruitment and retention. Yeah, uh, everybody knows that m- there are a lot of agencies out in the country that are struggling with with both, uh, whether that's uh, obtaining new members or keeping the members they have. So, what's your what's your um, thought process on this? So, uh, I guess we can start with uh, recruitment. Um, I'm I'm afraid because of some things that I'm hearing and seeing through some of my travels. Something, I don't know how to say this without sounding negative because I'm probably one of the most positive people you're going to meet. But uh, for some reason, it seems like nobody wants to be a firefighter. Um, You know, we was talking in a, a round table about that with some other leaders from other departments and, you know, I said, look, man, recruitment only works when you got like 300 people in the middle of the table, right? And you mm-hmm. got five fire departments around that table and, and your recruitment strategies and techniques or your department or your qualities of your department, whatever, is what's going to pull those people out of that 300-person bucket, right? Problem is, we don't have 300 people in the bucket. Exactly. You know, we there's no one there to recruit from. No, And when I say that, I say no one. I mean, I use that word loosely, but there are people out there that want to be firefighters, right? Um, but the numbers are small. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what hurts us, and, and I hate to say this because I'm going to probably be talking about somebody in specific, whoever you are, whoever put this post on Facebook, but what hurts us is when you got a local fire department that is recruiting and putting a recruitment flyer on the Internet. And the second comment in the Facebook post is, I can make that much money working at Bucky's. Right. <laughs> you know, why? Why are we? And, and, and most likely that individual is not a firefighter, you know, that, that made that comment. Mm-hmm. But but the perception unmanaged becomes reality, right? You know, perception. People see that and they're like, hey, well, wait a minute. You know, I, I'm I'm in the process of trying to figure out a way to make these new truck payments. And I just got this brand new truck. I don't want to go be a firefighter. I want to go somewhere where I can make you know, $80,000 a year starting out. Um, you know, I even had a guy come up to me and say, Hey, you know, we could probably cut the benefits and raise the starting salary to 65 grand a year and they'll break a door down to try to get in here. 
you know, because they're, they're not looking for the longevity. I said, who is they? He said, the new people coming into the fire service. And I'm like, okay, I'm just not, I'm not used to hearing that or seeing that. I don't understand what group of people you're talking about. You know, who are we reaching? Um, are there still your traditional styles of recruitment going to your job fairs? Absolutely, man. Get to the job fair. Get to these schools, especially. I don't know, you know where your listeners are coming from all over the country or, or East Coast or whatever, but here in the state of North Carolina, you know, state of fire marshal's offices, we, we got firefighter classes in high schools. Mm-hmm. Get to the high schools. If you're an administrative chief and you, you know you're in charge of training, you're in charge of recruitment, safety, whatever, get to these high schools and get to these kids. If you're an instructor going out teaching, man, look, I I got a company. I get it. I go out and teach. Don't think I'm not at that fire department recruiting. <laughs> when class is over last night, man, I, when class is over, I got these two guys that are over here like, hey, man, you know, tell me a little bit about Burlington. 30 minutes later, man, I'm drawing stuff on the whiteboard telling them about the benefits of the city of Burlington. You know, take every single opportunity you can to recruit. You know, you might not reach but one person out of 35, but I mean, that one person might know four more and they're going to go tell that person. That's right. So, you know, just I think we just don't take our foot off of the throat. That's what we do. We stay, you know, uh, vigilant when it comes to, you know, taking these opportunities to recruit and tell people about. We have to sell our department. And one of the biggest things that hurts recruitment is the people recruiting. And what I say about is, who are your best cheerleaders for your department? Your people. Right. They are obviously your most valued asset. Your people are the most valued asset to your department. They are the ones that are out there in the trenches. When their morale is low, they're not going to be very good recruitment officers. (laughs) Right? So, you know, it's all a double-edged sword. It's not necessarily a double-edged sword. It's all um, just a revolving circle with retention and recruitment and morale. You know, we don't talk about morale. Mm-hmm. We talk about recruitment and retention. But the elephant in the room that affects both of them is morale. It's morale. You're damn right. And we're not talking enough about it. We just, what are we doing? We're chalking it up saying, hey, you know, morale is just it's a pandemic across the entire American fire service. Okay, well, what are you doing about it? Are we just going to chalk it up to... It's a phase. No, we can't do that. We got to get to the root of it, figure out what it is. And what is, it? you know, morale across the American fire service. It's not Burlington. It's not Charlotte. It's not Morrisville. It's, it's the American fire service. Pay is an issue. Staffing mm-hmm. is an issue. Mm-hmm. Over There's time. Firefighters leaving departments because they're low staff. Mm-hmm. Um, Mandatory overtime. Yeah, mandatory overtime. I mean, you know, it's in in this. Uh, but what do you do as a, as an administrator? You know, as as your chief officers. I mean, you feel like you're scraping the bottom of the barrel when it comes to options. You know, so you know they're busy. They're trying to work this thing out. That you know, we we, we may have our hands tied by those that are above us. I don't know. Um, you know, with your cities or county administrations. Uh, you know, maybe there's a master plan that we don't know about yet. I don't know. But anyway, we got to do things to help morale. What can we do to help morale? You know, look at your low hanging fruit. Look at your free things. Look at the things that you can get your hands on now to, you know, um, you know, maybe station pride. It may be, you know, you want to do something. You want to customize your, you know, uniform based on your station. You want to get a station specific hat. You want to, you know, uh, hang a department flag in the, in the fire station off of the roof uh, or off of the ceiling of the fire station. You want to. Uh, explore some new uniform options, you know, 
some things like that that I consider what they are, low-hanging fruit, right? Um, things that you could change now that are very inexpensive things. Because when you, when you, if you got a policy that says that you, the firefighters can't go sit down at a restaurant or, or they can't uh, do this because of public perception, you know, um, social media policies. I mean, that's a big, um, you know, those low hanging fruit opportunities that we can get our hands on to maybe improve morale, uh, as long as they don't have the potential to cause any severe issues. Um, what that tends to do is pull the attention away from that pay or away from that staff. Right. And, uh, then you got cheerleaders here, your cheerleaders back, man, you know, they, they out there beating the street and, and selling your department and Hey man, I'm happy. They, they even, maybe you don't even, uh, maybe you don't go actually recruit maybe just people just see you happy mm-hmm. and like that cat's a burlington firefighter look at him smile look he's got a burlington firefighter hat on he's proud of his department you know he wears his uniform proudly he he's going to these conferences and when he goes to these conferences he wears his burlington stuff you know um you know nothing excites me more than to see these firefighters at fdic man wearing their department uniforms uh you know that's that's pride that's what that's what we're supposed to be but it all, it's all revolving door, revolving circle with recruitment and retention, man. Um, you know, just uh, getting down to the brass tacks and hard facts of why we all decided to do this job to start with. And oh. and getting back to your roots and your mentality of, I took this job to make a difference in somebody else's life. I took this job. Everybody's got a different reason. I don't know if you remember discussing that at Carolina Fire Days. Mm-hmm. You know, your job, your, your reason might be, um, you know, you wanted to work in more of a team atmosphere, and this was really the only opportunity you had to do that. Getting back to those roots and selling that concept. Um, you know, when 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 you look at somebody and say, "Hey, man, why did you take the job?" and they say, "Well, I mean, I really like the schedule. To be quite honest, you get two days off. That cat ain't gonna be there long. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't gonna be there long. <laughs> they looking for a reason to quit already." Agreed. Agreed. Or or they'll stay there just because of the schedule, the fact that they can do something on the side, a side hustle or whatnot. Yeah, but they're the leech. They're the leech. Right. They don't they're the recliners to them. They're the ones that's gonna that's gonna latch on like a leech and suck everything positive out of everybody around them because they're not there for the right reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. I love it. Um realistic training on a small budget. I'm not sure how much the budget Burlington allows for training. Um, one thing I do know is at doing some information and talking to individuals, and I'm not specifically stating you, there are a good number of departments out there where the training budget is the least amount of money that goes in the budget, like you know, apparatus, payroll, insurance, but training is always minuscule of what it needs to be. So if you are on a department that has a small budget, how how do you how do you do realistic training for your members? I think one of the biggest things to to um to to evaluate is what you're using the money for, right? Are you using that money to buy props? Are you using that money to pay for instructors to come in from out of town? Are you using that money to send people to conferences? I really think you need to analyze where the money is being used. Um you know, for an example, we I try to buy a prop every year, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we got forcible you know, we started out with no forcible entry doors. Now we got one at the training center, one in battalion one, one in battalion two. Eventually one day I'd like for every station to have a forcible entry door. Now on the flip side of that, I don't want to take away the opportunity for you to come to the training center. I don't want to build the training center at every one of the stations and it keeps you from coming out here. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. right. But um, you know, what are we using the money for? So 
Um, training on a small budget. Man, it, it, look, firefighters are some of the most creative people in the world. We're going to come up with a way to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think customizing your training and understanding that um, is there a stereotype way a training evolution is supposed to look? No, right? You see it on a video. You see it. Uh, you go to you go to um, the nozzle forward. I mean, you don't have to set uh, your training up, your hose and nozzle maneuvering up identical to Aaron and those guys, right? Right. Uh, can you take bits and pieces of that? Yeah. Um, what I find that most of the time we got everything we need for good quality training when it comes to props and when it comes to, you know, hose nozzles, appliances, how we are using um, decision-making processes. You know, if you got a, especially those departments that have a, a burn facility, um, you know, s- somewhere where you can, you know, at least have a, a good class A fire where you could look at, uh, you could break sm- smoke down to look at neutral planes and, and, um, you know, thermal layering for recruit to come in and understand fire behavior a little bit better. Uh, we have a lot of those resources. We cannot use our training budget as a crutch to not have good quality training. Um, because sometimes, man, you can fight it all you want to, and it ain't gonna get nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you can fight it, and you can say, "We need more money. We need more money. We need more money." But what are you using? Is it good? I mean, are you using that money for good quality stuff? Are you buying smoke machines for your stations? Are you, you know, are you buying a vent prop for battalion one and a vent prop for battalion two? What are you doing with the money? Utilizing that money effectively, and and I guess just like budgeting anything else, make smart choices when you spend. Um, you know, try to try to think about other things that are coming out of your training budget, evaluate some ideas of maybe taking those things out of different budget lines. I mess with the ops chief all the time. Like, Hey man, uh, I'm going to buy this and I'm going to take it out of your budget. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Save me a little bit, man. I'm, I'm struggling over here. Um, but it's so many different creative ways. And I mean, you can go down a, I could go down a rabbit hole on that, you know, as far as the ideas of training and ways that you can customize training, cheap, free ways to get good quality training. Um, so, I mean, it's, uh, I think training on a small budget, it can still be quality. Mm-hmm. It can still be just as quality. Look out and, and, and if you don't have a training facility, you know, reach out to your, uh, reach out to your, your town or your county or your city's uh, planning and, and uh, inspections department. Get them to put you on an email chain, let you know of any building schedule for demolish. Right. Right. Um, you know, I, I, we have a, a awesome, uh, individual here that sends me email i just got one today as a matter of fact from a gentleman that purchased some land that wants a house gone right uh in the city and um you know take advantage of those opportunities if you got a uh something in in your uh something in your policy that says you can't burn in your district uh like live burns or whatever or you don't have a live burn instructor and you can't find one see if they'll let you go in and at least breach some walls maybe cut some holes in the roof force some entry force uh, force entry into the front and back doors you know uh, pop some window sashes, um, you know, just drag some hose through. It's an unfamiliar location, right? Right. Make, make some dry, make some dry stretches or, 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 you know, there's so many opportunities. And again, I could go down a rabbit trail with that, man. There's so many opportunities for that. Um, give you an idea of, you know, one thing that we did didn't cost us a dime, but it's good quality training. I mean, to go to your strip malls, most fire departments around here got 200 foot pre-collects. Right. You know, go find a strip mall in your district. Uh, go to that strip mall during business hours and step off the stretch. See how long it takes based on where vehicles are parked. Most likely 
a 200 foot freaking that's not going to get you where you need to be in a lot of cases in that strip mall. Mm-hmm. Now go back after hours, park the apparatus in the exact same spot and make that stretch. That's good quality training. It's preparation. It's pre-planning. And it didn't cost you a dime. Right. So those departments out there that, um, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, man, I'll give you my information. I'll give you my information at the end. Those departments out there, those leaders in those departments that might, uh, they might struggle a little bit with low budgets in their training divisions or, or low budgets for, for training in general. Um, you know, reach out to me. I got bukus of training ideas that are free. Don't cost you a dime. Uh, you could take them and customize them to your department and your resources and, um, and get good quality training. I like, I like that idea. Honestly, uh, something I can say I haven't thought of. I mean, we, we do have strip malls, but I like the, the notion of do it when there's cars and then do it when there's not, because your 200 foot pre-connect will get you to where you need to be as long as you don't have many obstacles to go around. That's right. So I like I like that. Well, I mean, it's just something to look at when you're out in your districts. I mean, you know, you, somebody's going to go out one day and say, hey, let's go look at let's go locate all of the FDCs in this new shopping center we got. Let's go locate. Uh, let's, let's look at where the water supplies are. Are they private hydrants or the city hydrants? What difference does it make? But, you know, or we need to go out in our district. But when you go out and look, imagine having an incident there Black Friday mm-hmm. when the parking lot is full of, of Christmas shoppers, right? Imagine it being a Friday night and you got a fire at the Texas Roadhouse. Where are you going to park the apparatus when the parking lot's full? Right. Um, you know, where is your water supply? Do you have to make five turns with your five inch into the parking lot, laying a line in? I mean, just really, that's good quality training. That's good quality training, and it's it's causing you to have critical thinking, which is what we don't do enough of, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's awesome stuff, man. Okay, okay, love it. Uh, leadership, company officer, chief officers. This is a topic you said that was you wanted to hit on, so. Floor is yours. <laughs> Anything in particular, man? No, I mean, I mean uh, it could be it could be both realms because you 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 have held both both ranks from the yep. company officer to the chief officer. So uh, we can start with the company officer. Being a leader as a company officer, what does that mean for you? And vice versa as a chief officer. Oh man, you like um, <laughs> the the leadership in the company officer. I really think they're, they're pretty much the same. Uh, I think leadership's the same. Um, just from my point of view, um, I think understanding what kind of leadership style you have and what where it matches, um, that's one thing. But I think one of the most important things is understanding that there's more more than one leadership style based on the environment you're in at the time, right? And how to transition between those. Mm-hmm. I think that's very important. Um, you know, because anybody that's been in the fire service more than 10 minutes has heard of their traditional leadership styles. You know, your democratic approach, your authoritarian approach, your um, you know, just do as I say, not as, you know, just do as I say now. We don't have time for that input you know, right. versus the democratic approach of, hey, let's get everybody here. I want to empower my people to make meaningful decisions and based on, you know, getting their input to to help, you know, come up with something here. Um, two, obviously, night and day approaches to leadership, but they work. And I don't understand. Forgive me for all of the people that that really believe in this, which I believe in it too, but I don't know why it's considered new servant leadership. Mm-hmm. Here's servant leadership. All of a sudden it's new. It's bold print in the book. Now like flow paths or bold print in the book. Now, like we hadn't been talking about that for years. If you're a leader, you're automatically serving your people. 
It's not anything new. That's not a new concept. Um, if you are a leader and you have followers, if you're like, uh, I think uh, a friend of mine is, I can't remember his name. He was, I did a podcast with him a while back. He said, uh, if you're a leader and you don't have any followers, you're just taking a walk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, but leadership, man, you can, and, and I'm not taking anything away from any of the leadership speakers or, or, or advocates for leadership because they're all right. Okay. They're all right. And they all have a great message, mm -hmm. but a lot of times it's so over here and over here, it's hard for me to understand. So I took my own approach to leadership and believe it or not, I'm, I've broken it down so elementary that I compare it to the fire truck. Okay. The fire truck. This is Paul Watlington's leadership truck. Now I polled a lot of people. I've taken uh, a BLET Academy, fire academies, corporate businesses, and I polled them. And I'm like, I want to know what your top three characteristics of a leader. Okay. Now you got to be careful when you ask those questions because it's all based on their current attitude and morale within their organization at mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. Right. Because most likely if morale's low and you ask somebody, what are the top three characteristics that you would like in a leader? They're going to tell you the number three things of the top three things that their current leadership is not doing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's just the reaction, right? Right. Uh, but if their morale is high and they're thriving and all of the employees are maximizing on their capabilities, you're going to get the top three things that they are doing. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I did a lot of polling and I did a lot of questioning just because I wanted to see if I could validate some of my own thoughts. And what I found with the top three characteristics of a leader from today's generation on into the Gen X's, um, trustworthiness, decisiveness, and competency. Now, obviously, all three of those have many different subcategories right? right um, that affect the, the final word there, competency, decisiveness, and trustworthiness. But I took those three things and I put them in the fire truck. And I thought to myself, if you take one away, you're screwed. Mm -hmm. You can be very decisive and very trustworthy, but if you're not competent, you're going to lose your people. Right. You can be competent and decisive, but if you're not trustworthy, you're screwed. And you can be competent and you can be trustworthy, but if you are not the type of person that can make a decision and you feel like you have to take everybody else's input to be able to make one, you can't make one on your, on your own. Yeah. You screwed, man. You screwed. Your, your followers are not going to follow you. Okay. Uh, so I take that approach to leadership and and just uh, really narrowing it down and getting down to the brass tacks and hard facts of what do my people need? How is that related to the ultimate mission of this department? Um, and when I say what do my people need, I'm not talking about like what do they need to get ready for this lieutenant's test. I'm talking about holistically, what do our people need? Right. Because um, my job is to make sure that our people are offering the most efficient service to the citizens of Burlington, but also do they have what they need to be successful in their career and go home safe to their families? You know, my responsibility to them also is extended to their families mm -hmm. because I have to, you know, I take a, a, a lot of pride in, in, uh, in I guess responsibility and, and making sure that every one of these individuals at this fire department goes home the next day. Um, with a but but with an aggressive mindset i'm not taking is that there's no such thing in my head as a safety nazi and aggressive you know firefighters i i combine them mm -hmm. but anyway uh going back to that leadership i mean it's it's uh 
I think a, a lot of it is not something that you learn in a book. I think it's not something that you necessarily hear in a conference and you go apply to become a good leader. I think it's uh, a lot of it's natural, mm-hmm. right? Um, a lot of it is being an advocate for other people's success, seeing other people succeed, putting them in those tough situations sometimes to where they have to um they have to take control, stepping aside as a leader and letting other people lead. Um, you know, not being that person that knows 10 things, but not only going to tell you eight. Um, you know, it's so many different examples of how I can apply the three things that, that I think are the top three. That's just mine. Danny's, you, you may have a different top three. Right. That's fine. Right. Um, and I'm not basing my top three off of a lack of thereof in our current administration. That, that That's not what I mean by that. Uh, they, they are, those three things um but leadership in in a whole is i mean everybody understands the definition of leadership i think it's at this point understanding when to use certain leadership styles understanding what works best for you but also what works best for the paramilitary organizations that we work for uh you know understanding that there still is a hierarchy um but that hierarchy understands that they are breeding the next generation of leaderships I mean, the next generation of leaders and, um, you know, putting them in position for success, letting them know you're there for them, stand behind your people, you know, um, always looking for ways to make your people better and offering those opportunities to your people. And when you start doing that and when it comes naturally, they're going to follow you simply out of curiosity. They want to follow you just to see where you're going Mm -hmm. and leading by example. Don't be an advocate for education when you're not educating yourself. Lead by example. I like it. I had no rebuttal on it. I mean, everything was 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 facts. You, yeah, you can't you can't say you want one thing or you expect this of them when in return you're not even really meeting the criteria or meeting the standards of whatever it is yourself. So you, I mean, it's 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 like you're looking at a mirror. You can't say one thing, but you're not you're not setting that that precedence or that example of it. So I like it. Um, last topic for you. Yeah. Which characteristic holds more weight in your opinion? Which we kind of talked about it though. Years of service, education, work ethic, or on the job experience. Ooh. Ah. Uh, so this is um. It's actually a tough one, man, because it's a combination of two Okay. to me. Um, I think it is on the job experience, but I also think it's work ethic. Okay. Because I think at work, ethic, work, work ethic can lead to a healthy supplement in the absence of that work experience. Um, you know, because that, 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 that person that with that awesome work ethic, that person that comes in and they're like, today... I'm going to learn something that I did not know yesterday. Today, I'm a student of the American Fire Service. Today, I'm learning. Today, I'm getting better. Today, I'm going to force that door a little extra. Today, I'm going to see if the chief uh, of training was, or see if my captain will uh, take us out to the training facility. And when they get there, they're using their time wisely. They're not sitting on the front bumper, but drilling for an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know that person with that work ethic, you know, that's going to be a healthy supplement over time for that lack of on-the-job experience. I mean, we can't hold the the new generation that's coming in now accountable for the lack of knowledge 
that they're using to make their decisions. I mean, how do we, how do we hammer down on somebody for not being able to make a decision when they don't have a foundation to make a decision? Give them that in a supplement. How are we going to do that? Um, you know, capitalize on that strong work ethic. If you got somebody that likes to stay busy, keep them busy. Don't put them, you know, over here in the corner and say, "Hey, man, go hide." You know, you're making all the rest of us look bad. Mm-hmm. You know, keep that work ethic, protect that work ethic, protect that advocation for for that work ethic. Um, but I do think on the job experience. I mean, look, man, at the end of the day. Either you got lucky and you were first in on 32 house fires the first year you were at the department or you weren't. Okay. We can't do anything about that. Right. Um, it is what it is, but God, man, when you go to a job, maximize everything that you can or, or capture everything that you can. You know, we don't, we're still burning stuff, man. <laughs> there may have been a little decline, but I mean, we're still burning stuff. Okay. Um, when you go to these jobs, you know, look at everything, take it, look at that as a huge training evolution. Once the scene is mitigated and go around and really dig deep into thinking, you know, what, what have I got to learn here? Can, can I take an extra minute before we leave and take a look at this, you know, um, you know, capitalizing on those opportunities. If you weren't first in and you weren't on that nozzle, you know, that don't mean that you're not getting some type of experience out of that incident. Um, so that, that strong work ethic and that advocation, that person that has that strong work ethic has that advocation for learning and development and training, and they're going to get out there and they're going to fill those gaps that they have that are not filled with on the job experience. So I, I have to tie both of those together. Okay. All right. Um, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, which I forgot to mention, you are the I could say creator owner of impact fire training. Yes. So yeah. if, if any department or any officer, captain, training chief, whatever wants to get a hold of you, how do they go about doing that? Uh, it's pretty simple, man. It's uh, impact fire training at gmail.com impact fire training at gmail.com. Um, you know, I'm, I'm out on the road a little bit. I'll be happy to come to your department. And uh, I got, uh, got some information I can send you on classes that I have available that I do uh, throughout. Um, you know, if you, uh, if you don't get out to many conferences, uh, but if you, if you do get an opportunity to come to FDIC, look me up there. Um, I'll be, uh, doing my pump series stuff at, uh, at FDIC in Indianapolis this coming up year. Uh, so, you know, hopefully we'll run into each other. Anybody out there that wants to talk, um, you know, if you want to do it on an informal basis, I'll meet you out for coffee somewhere. We'll sit down and we'll talk shop. Uh, you know, however you want to do it, man. But, uh, you shoot me an email if you got some information that you're looking for. Um, iron sharpens iron, man. So if, if there's anything out there that I got that might help you, uh, all you got to do is let me know you need it and I'm going to be sending it your way. Impactfiretraining.com. Well, impact, excuse me, impactfiretraining at gmail.com. All right. Copy that. Um, chief, uh, I know you're on shift today, but I appreciate you taking your time to, to, you know, talk shop, uh, spread the gospel in the fire service. Uh, chief, uh, Watlington was, uh, this, Actually, a few months ago was the Carolina Fire Days. He taught an awesome class on uh, long short. Long story short, he he taught a class on on, on giving the damn. Like he, you have a passion for the fire service that others definitely need to mimic in order to make the service better. No nonsense leadership, all about the job, empowering your people. Uh, don't be a slug. Don't be a naysayer. Be positive. So I I truly appreciate you taking the time to uh, to do this for me. Absolutely. Damn it. I appreciate you having me. Uh, 
you know, uh, honored to be uh, talking to you today and um, look forward to talking to you again soon, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Chief. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.